Welcome. It is so good to have you joining us today. If I haven't met you before, my name is Lockie. I'm a member of our pastoral team here at Gold Coast Central Church. If you're joining us for the very first time today, or you've never been to a church service before, we want to extend a really special welcome to you. We are so glad that you've decided to join us. And if you want to type into the comments, I'm new here, then um, we've got some members of our guest services team, and they would love to interact with you and just offer you a really great welcome to our community. You've joined on an awesome day because today we are continuing our series on the topic of generosity. The, the title of this series is It's a Party. And the reason it's called It's a Party is because that is the way that Jesus sees the world. When he's here on earth, he looks out at creation and he just sees the abundance, the overabundant love and generosity of God on display for us to experience and enjoy and embrace. And we're continuing this series today, but I wanted to give a quick recap on what we looked at last week so that we're all on the same page. Last week, we talked about the generosity mentality, how the way we're supposed to interact with the world around us as followers of Jesus is to acknowledge that God is a generous God, that every good thing we have is from above. And what that means is that we can interact with the world around us with generosity not by our own initiative so that we get the glory or the affirmation for what we give and pay forward, but with an attitude of responding and returning what God has already blessed us with. It leans us into a posture of humility and one that acknowledges God as the provider of all good things. But what happens when people abuse that generosity of God? What does that tell us about who God is, the way that he responds, and how should we respond to that generosity as his followers? We're going to unpack those questions today as we continue by looking at God as the generous host. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come together, Lord, online and, and to dive into your word. I ask that you might speak through me today, that you might rid me of myself and give each of us receptive hearts to what you're saying. We thank you so much for joining us and for walking with us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible on you, whether it be on your phone or the paperback OG version, what I want you to do is to open it up to the very first chapter of the Bible. It's Genesis chapter 1. And here in Genesis chapter 1, what we see is the creation account. And this creation account shows us what God's original plan for creation is. It shows us his original intention. And, and as we read through the, the creation account, what we can see is we can get a picture of, of what God intended humanity's existence to look like. Before sin entered the frame and, and the distortion of that beautiful picture began to happen, we can see in, in the first couple of chapters of Genesis what God's original intention for our existence here on earth is. And from that, we can learn a lot about who he is, about his character. And so we're going to start by reading from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And we're going to look at the, at, how, at the way that this paints God as a generous God, as one who freely gives out of overabundant love to his creation. And we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So I want to invite you to read along with me. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it says this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. You see, in this verse alone, we see the first gift that God gives to humanity. God gives them an identity. 
an identity of being image bearers of the divine, an identity that says that they are a part of a family, that they were, that they were created out of love and out of relationship. And that identity that God gives to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is the same identity that he gives to you and to me today, an identity that is firmly secure in being image bearers of the Creator, an identity that is secure within his love. And it's a gift that I think God has for each and every one of us today that we are bearers of God's image. It means we have a secure place to hold our identity. As we keep reading verse 28, it says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. You see, once God gives Adam and Eve identity, the next thing he gives them, the very next thing he gives them is purpose. It's responsibility. He gives them a task to do. And this task is about reflecting God's image by participating in creating life, by continuing that life-giving generosity that created them. It says, be fruitful and multiply. It's a blessing of purpose. And I believe that blessing of purpose is something that God wants to give to you today as well, that God wants to give to your life. He not only wants to, to, to give you a secure place to, to, to store your identity in, but he wants to give you a purpose in life as well. Something that motivates you and drives you and allows you to experience satisfaction and joy when you're doing what you've been created to do. It's one of the key parts of what we do here as a church. We want people to discover purpose. To discover the way God created them and what that means for their life. Continuing reading in verse 29, it says, God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. Straight after God gives them a purpose and something to do, God gives Adam and Eve provision. He gives them the resources that they need to act out on that purpose and to live it out. And one of the surest signs for your life and for my life that we're doing the things that God has asked us to do, that we're living according to the purpose that he's called us to, is that we're going to experience provision in our life. We're going to experience the divine God giving us what we need to do what he's called us to do. That doesn't mean we're not going to face hardship or tough times or trials, but what it means is that over time, God is going to be providing for your needs, providing for my needs as we're doing what he's called us to do. And we see these incredibly generous gifts that God gives humanity out of the loving God that he is and out of the core of his character come these gifts, this generosity. And as we jump down to chapter 2, verse 16 of the book of Genesis, what we're going to see is one of the greatest gifts that God gives and the one that is most intrinsically tied up in who he is as a God of love. In verse 16 of Genesis 2, we read, But the Lord God warned him, He may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. God gives Adam and Eve two gifts here wrapped up in one, and it's the gift of freedom. But it's freedom that's characterized by parameters. It's freedom within a framework. And this can be a challenge for us in modern society because often our understanding of freedom is being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want. And it's being able to do anything without consequence. That's kind of our our traditional understanding of freedom. But the way that freedom is characterized in the Bible is that freedom is something that exists within boundaries. Not unbreakable boundaries, not not boundaries that can't be removed, 
But just as any good parent knows that if you tell your kids to play out the front, you're going to tell them to, to not go on the road for their own safety. God gives Adam and Eve freedom within parameters because he knows that it's for their benefit and for their safety. That's what true freedom is. True freedom isn't being able to do whatever you want. True freedom is knowing you can do whatever you want, but you don't have to. And true freedom is a part, is a key part that tells us about God's love, God's overabundant love for us. Because as a God of love, he desires love in return. And true love can't come where there is no choice. And so God gives Adam and Eve the gift of freedom to choose. To choose in this world of abundance what they will do in response to God. Whether they will choose to walk with him and fulfill the purpose that he's created for them to do. Or whether they will abuse that freedom. As we read on through the story of Genesis, what we see unfortunately is that humans don't seem to know what to do with this abundance that God has given them. And in Genesis chapter 3, we read the story of what's called the fall, the fall of humanity. And so if, if you read there with me in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Genesis, it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. We often think of shrewd as like a negative term. But in the book of Proverbs, this term shrewd in the ancient Hebrew is actually portrayed as potentially a virtue to, to be cultivated by the wise. However, when it's misused, it can become a, a tool that, 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 is led, that leads to deception and guile. So, so this idea of, of shrewd is not an inherently bad thing, but because of what the serpent does with, with his shrewdness, what we see is that it results in something bad for humanity. And the serpent asked the woman, this is verse 3, chapter 1 of Genesis, it says, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now we just read what God said. God didn't say you can't eat of any trees in the garden. God said, no, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden except for one. But, but, what, but what the serpent is doing here is he is trying to undermine God's trustworthiness. He, he's trying to, to suggest and, and put the option out there that maybe God isn't who he says he is. I want you to imagine back for those that were with us last week to that party that came to mind. If, if you weren't here, then what I want to invite you to do is close your eyes now and think about a party that you've been invited to. It's an imaginary party, and as you walk in, what you see is the most beautiful decorations ever. The, the host has spared no expense. You smell the sweet aromas of the food that's coming through. It's unlike anything you've ever, you've ever smelled. The temperature of the room is just so perfect that it's like you just feel so comfortable. That the music playing in the background is soft, but it's beautiful, it's elegant, and it, it's just the most extravagant, amazing party you've ever been to. And, and as you walk around the corner, you see the host, he gives you a massive hug and says, hey, it's so good to have you here. I just want you to enjoy this party, to make the most of it, to embrace it. You know, there's going to be some courses of food coming out soon. We'll start with a few starters, and I just really want you, you to enjoy it. But um, there's actually one plate that's in the middle of the, of the room there. I just don't want you to touch that one for now. Okay? I don't want you to, to go near that. That's kind of the picture that we get from the way that Jesus looks at creation. It's like a, 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 this host has just poured everything out to create an amazing party and invited us to participate in it. But it's, it's almost like someone is, is going around at this party and as the hors d'oeuvres are coming out, that that first course is coming out, that they're starting to whisper to people, you know, the, I, I heard there's not enough food to go around. Or I heard that the, the host hasn't actually, you know, got another course coming. 
you know, I don't think the host is able to be trusted to provide us this food. You know, why is he telling us not to eat from that plate in the middle there? And what, what the serpent has done to Adam and Eve here is he's introduced to them the idea that God might not be trustworthy, that he isn't who he says he is. If I tell you right now to, think, to not think of, um, a, a flying purple monkey, chances are you're probably right now thinking of a flying purple monkey. Right? The serpent has introduced the idea that God might not be trustworthy. He's undermining this generosity that God has bestowed upon them. And he's done this by focusing humanity's attention on the one thing that God has asked them not to partake in. And that's what Satan will do for us today is he will try and take your eyes and he'll take your focus of all the incredible things that God has blessed you with and put your focus on the things that maybe he's withholding from you for whatever reason. And he will say, hey, God isn't a generous God because he's holding that thing back from you. He's holding that thing away from you. And we see what the serpent says to Eve evidently have, have some impact on what she says because even though at the start of verse 2 she says, of course we may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden. In verse 3, she says, it's only the fruit from one tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You may have noticed a subtle difference between Eve's words and God's words from before. Because Eve adds that you may not even touch it. Because if you do, you will die. And while it's a small, subtle difference, what it signifies is a step in the direction towards distrusting the generosity of God. What Eve is displaying here is the forming of a belief that God might not be as generous as he seems. And this subtle undermining of God's generosity becomes an outright lie and deception because in the very next verse, chapter 4 of Genesis 3, the serpent says, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the idea is introduced that perhaps God is holding out on Adam and Eve that perhaps he isn't generous. And Eve is evidently convinced of this because it says that she saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. And she gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Humanity abused the generous freedom that God gave them in Eden and the result was that they were removed from the garden. They were removed from the direct presence of God because sin cannot be in the presence of the divine for it will be destroyed and consumed. And, and this sin started because the trust that Adam and Eve had in God's generosity was undermined. And so we read on and we come to a story in Genesis chapter 4 and it's a story that looks at the way that God responds to the brokenness of humanity. And it tells us how we need to interact with the world around us when it appears that God is favoring some people over others. And it comes back to this mentality we discussed last week, this mentality of like scarcity or generosity. The scarcity mentality is really characterized by a belief that there's a finite amount of resources in the world around us and that it's completely up to ourselves to make sure that we have enough, that we can provide for ourselves and our families and those that we want to give to. It's characterized by a maybe an unintentional or intentional belief that God isn't able to provide everything that we need 
and that he isn't the generous host that he paints himself to be in the first chapter, first two chapters of the Bible. Now, the generosity mentality, however, acknowledges God's word at face value and says that, God, you are able to provide for my needs in your timing, that you are faithful, that you are good, that you are a generous God. And it means that when we participate in giving or serving or helping or tithing, whatever it might be, that we do it in response to the generosity that God has already given to us. But there's still that tension of like, how do we respond when it seems like God is being more generous to someone else than he is to us? Or when God is being more generous to us than he is to someone else? And that's the tension that's playing out in the story of Genesis chapter 4. So we're going to read that now. And this is the last passage we're going to be looking at today. And it says in Genesis chapter 4 verse 1, this is after humanity are removed from the Garden of Eden. So they're, they're now existing in a distorted version of creation in a world that is turning down a path away further and further from God's original plan in Eden. But in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now Adam had relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift the best portions of the firstborn lambs of his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. So as we read this passage, what seems to be happening is that God has chosen one over another. He's chosen to give favor to Abel, but not to Cain. And we could get into a discussion about looking at you know, the reasons why God has done this, but this is the first time in Scripture that we're introduced to this idea of biblical election, this idea of God pouring out favor on a, on a particular person or a particular group. And we're not going to enter today into discussing why that's the case. But what I want to look at is look at this story through the lens of generosity because I think there's a really powerful lesson that we learn here and can give us some answers as to how we're supposed to respond when it seems like God's generosity is pouring more abundantly onto someone else than onto ourselves. As you look at the, the, the offering that Cain brings to the Lord, it says that he brought a portion of his harvest. I think that the way Cain is interacting with giving to God is he's interacting with it through the lens, through that worldview of scarcity. That he's seen his whole harvest out before him and he's selected a portion of it and he's brought it to God as a gift. Whereas Cain, what he has done is he has looked at his flock, he's looked at the very firstborn, the, the first of his increase, and he's not just given the, the first of what he's got, but he's given the best of the first. We see his priority is to give God the very best of the first. And I think the reason for that is he's seeing God as, as one who is a generous God. And he knows that if, even if he gives God the very best of the very first of his flock, that, 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 that he's not going to be lacking because God is going to be faithful to provide for his needs. So he's not afraid to give God the first of his best. It says, it says in chapter 4, Verse 4, that Abel brought the best portions of the firstborn lambs. So there's a difference in the heart posture here of Abel as opposed to Cain. And it says, The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. We see in Cain symptoms of what the scarcity mentality does for us as well, because it says at the end of verse 5 that Cain was very angry and he looked dejected. If you see the world around you through the lens of scarcity, with that belief that there's a finite amount of resource to go around, 
then when God blesses someone else, you will see that as being at your expense. That you will see the favor of God as unjust. Because why is God favoring someone else but not me? Why is he giving my colleague a pay rise, but, but why, why am I not getting a pay rise? Well, why is it that, that you know, my, my friends are able to provide all the opportunities for their kids that they want, but, but I'm really struggling just to pay my bills? Why is it that it seems like God is being more generous to some than to others? And that's the tension that I think Cain is wrestling with here because he's angry that God has poured out favor on Cain. If you see the world through the lens of scarcity, you'll start to believe that more for someone else means less for you. And that more for you means less for someone else. But God invites us into a heart posture that sees the world through this lens of generosity, that acknowledges God as one who is a generous host, one who does not withhold blessing from his people, one who does not want us to focus on what we don't have, but embrace and share all that he has blessed us with. And while this might seem on the surface like something that is a bit of a bit of a unhelpful or irresponsible way of looking at the world around us, what it actually does is it invites us and it opens us up to more fully embrace contentment and satisfaction and joy for what God has given to us. As we read on in that verse in that passage, sorry, of Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel, the Lord asked Cain, he says, Why are you so angry? This is verse 6. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. So, so, so God's favor is able to be bestowed upon Cain. Like, like, it's, like the, 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 the favor that he's bestowed upon Abel is not at the expense of his brother Cain. The, the favor that God has bestowed upon you is not at the expense of someone else. That the favor that he's bestowed upon your, your friend or your colleague or your, your sibling even is not at your expense. Because God is a generous God. God is in control of every resource. God is in control of all things. And that means that he is able to provide for your needs when you need them. He promises to do that in his word. As we continue verse 7, the Lord says to Cain, he says, If you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. See, many people in the real world around us will say, watch out, God is crouching at the door, eager to control you. Or they might say, watch out, debt is, at, is, is, is crouching at the door, eager to control you. Looking like a fool in front of your friends is crouching at the door, eager to control you. Not being able to pay your bills is crouching at the door, eager to control you you must subdue it and be its master. What that does is it forces us out of believing that God is a generous God and into believing that we are responsible for looking after ourselves. Jesus invites us back to the Genesis 1 picture of God, the, the one that, that trusts who he is as a generous host, one that trusts that he is a good God and a faithful God. Jesus invites us into that because he has blessing in store for us. And this isn't a prosperity gospel that says, you know, you give to God and he's going to pour out blessing on you because of your gift. No, it's a generosity mentality. It's a generosity mentality that acknowledges all that God has given us 
and where we respond by returning to him and paying forward what he's already blessed us with. If we're going to adopt this generosity mentality, we need to believe that he truly is a generous host, that that God truly is creating a party here on earth for us to enjoy and embrace. Maybe what's holding you back is, is that you're struggling to believe that God is who he says he is. Maybe Satan's trying to focus your, your emphasis and, 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 all your, and putting all his energy into to fixing your eyes on the thing that God might be withholding from you or the things that you don't have. Maybe you're being really influenced by the people around you and you're spending so much time trying to hustle and get money or trying to prepare yourself and set yourself up for success because you fear that if you don't, you're going to be left homeless, broken, abandoned. What I want to invite you today is to come out of that scarcity mentality and to step into this way of looking at the world that acknowledges God as a generous host and forces us into a belief that he will be faithful to provide. God promises in his word to be faithful to provide. Just as he is a generous God in Eden, he is a generous God today. While creation was distorted, God is unchanging. While, while sin impacted our existence here on earth, it did not impact who God is as a generous God who is faithful. You see, God is now entering into a mission to restore in the minds of his creation who he is as a generous God. And he invites us into being helpers in that mission. If you imagine back to that party we've been talking about, you know, there's a person that's going around saying, oh, maybe the host isn't trustworthy. Maybe there's not enough food to go around. You know, I don't think that we're going to have all that we need here to enjoy the party. Our responsibility as guests of that party is to go around and, and shout the opposite, to say, no, God is a generous God. He is faithful to provide for your needs. He has already provided every good thing in your life. And to participate in reflecting his character by being generous to other people by returning to God what is his, by serving others in need. And so my call for today is this. Are you caught up in this scarcity mentality? Are you struggling with believing that God is who he says he is? I want you to, to, to take God's word at what it says and believe over the next week that God is going to be faithful to provide for your needs doesn't mean you abandon all financial responsibility, but it means that we take a new perspective with it. Ask God for the peace and the joy and the satisfaction that comes with acknowledging him as ultimately our provider. And get into a routine or a process of thankfulness, of gratefulness, whether that be writing down five things a day, the things that you're thankful for, whether it be taking a moment throughout your day to, 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 to be grateful to God for what he's blessed you with whether it be to just get into the, the habit of, you know, when those thoughts of anxiety or fear about not having enough come into your mind, to push them aside and say, no, God is going to be faithful to provide for me. I can trust who God is. Wherever you find yourself today, I want to invite you to step into that generosity mentality because God is a generous host and he invites us to be a part of this party. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for joining us this morning, for being with us as we've dived into your word and looked at who you are. Lord, being a God of love, you know, you've just so overabundantly 
poured out your generosity onto us. I pray for everyone who's made a decision today or has started the process of making a decision by thinking more about this idea of you as a generous host and what that means for their life. I pray your Holy Spirit will give them wisdom and guidance and clarity on what it might look like for them to live out this generosity mentality in the week ahead. Thank you so much for who you are. We ask for opportunities this week to to reflect your generosity to the world around us. And we ask, Lord, that you might come soon and take us home to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen.